2: It's August. Parliament is in recess, so MPs are away in their constituencies. Knocking on doors, schmoozing locals. An election isn't that far around the corner, remember. With that in mind, though, some will probably be asking themselves, is this the life for me? Do I really want to keep doing this? Why are you leaving? I think the real question is, why have I stayed so long?
0: Why are you leaving us? Well, that's a good question, Matt. Well, I've loved my time in politics uh, and I've enjoyed, uh, well, not every moment of it, but most of it. So it'll be 32 years at Westminster. I think that's a good shift. I think I've got a chance to do something else in life.
2: 74 MPs have said they're not going to stand at the next election, most of them Conservatives, but not all.
3: If you are wanting to change things, then go for it. But I'm not going to pretend that it's all going to be sunshine and roses. It is a horrible place to be.
0: I wanted to be a Member of Parliament when I was a teenager and I only came into Parliament in 2015. But I felt it was right that I signalled my intent that I would be standing down at the next election.
2: Some might be thinking, better to jump before I'm pushed, what with the state of the opinion polls at the moment. But others have a good chance of keeping their seats and yet are still quitting, even in their 30s. So what's going on? We'll hear from two MPs in their own words about why they considered packing it in, why one's staying and the other's going. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. Manveen is on a recess of her own. I'm Luke Jones. Today, why so many MPs are calling it quits before the election.
1: Charlotte Ivers and I'm a staff writer for the Sunday Times
2: So the next general election could be 17 months away at the the very most Um, it has to happen by January 2025 lots of MPs especially Conservatives have been announcing that they're not going to stand this time round Matt Chorley off of Times Radio Fame has been doing some exit interviews with some of them
0: As you leave us, what will you do next? Um, I don't know. I'm taking a leap of faith. What are you going to do next? I'm God, I just hope I've got enough life left. What will you do next? I'm going to retire, Matt. House of Lords? Definitely not. What are you going to do next? I don't know. <laughs> You've been talking to some
2: soon-to-be ex-MPs as well. Is it normal, this far out from an election, for this many people to be jumping ship?
1: It isn't, strictly speaking, normal. We're seeing the biggest departure of MPs from a governing party since the expenses scandal, which, of course, was a fairly unique set of circumstances. And so something is going on here. And the cynics among us, I'm probably one of them, will say, well, one of the things that's going on is a lot of Conservative MPs are thinking, I would quite like to jump ship before I'm pushed. And in some cases, that is sort of what we see happening. But it's a lot more complicated than that. And
2: let's talk about two MPs in particular who you've been talking to in depth about this. Both have been toying with this idea of leaving. Tell us about the first one, William Ragg.
1: William Ragg, I think, is a fascinating case, and he's indicative of something, which is that a lot of these MPs who are leaving are reasonably young. So mm. you've seen Dehella Davidson, for example, in her late 20s, meant to be the poster child for the Red Wall MPs. She's off. Murray Black, fairly famous for being the baby of the House from the SNP. She's had enough as well. And then you come to Will Ragg. He's conservative. He's 35. He was elected at 27. He'd done a couple of mm. years as a teacher a couple of years working for another MP and was elected at this astonishingly young age. He's done it for eight years. He's climbed through the backbench ranks. He's the chair of the Public Administration Committee, so a pretty senior figure. But he has decided that he is stepping down at the next election. And he talked to me a bit about why that was.
0: Can I have an Earl Grey tea, please?
1: Can I grab a black coffee, please?
0: Thank you. And a glass of water, if you have one as well. Oh, yes, thank you. Thank you.
1: He last year had a very unfortunate period of mental bad health. He essentially had a bit of a breakdown, to put it fairly crudely, and he took a couple of months off work as a result of that. You have to tell me a bit about why you came to take that time out. Maybe a bit as well about.
0: I think I was I I was knackered. Um, I was mentally and to an extent physically knackered, but it only dawned on me after getting to the recess. I think I'd sort of survived on uh, adrenaline and the fumes of adrenaline, and then suddenly that had gone. And then it, it was uh, just a, a real uh, plummet in, in mood, which I've likened it previously to sort of falling through a floor. Not that I've done this, by the way, but imagine if you did fall through um, a floor. And just as you're lying flat on your back below, you think, oh, well, that's just how bad it gets. Then the floorboards around you start to creak and you're going to go down another level. Uh, And you have to, it, it really is pretty, pretty grim.
1: And he was very keen to stress to me that it wasn't the fact that he'd had this episode of mental ill health that made him want to go it's more that he over the course of that couple of months essentially had a time to reflect and had time to think is this what i want to do with hmm. the rest of my life it's not all about
0: getting the, the small violins out but I, th- I think that gave me some space to think and on reflection having you know, got here when i was 27 now 35 to 36 at the next election i thought well that's nine years or so Uh, such a reasonable stint, Um, I'm still, I think, in a place in life where I can do things that are interesting, worthwhile uh, and different. Um, And I think it was therefore
1: an element of um, being quite tired and uh, wanting to have a change. And he broadly came to the conclusion that he could do more good elsewhere. I
0: think there was was an element of... um, Fuel in the tank, not, necess- not necessarily being there. Enthusiasm for the role, yes. Enthusiasm for the role. Um, enjoyment of aspects of the role, certainly. Um, but not a, not a complete enjoyment of it. Mm. Uh, and an on-balance um, a decision that it was better to do it on my terms. You know, of course, you're always at risk of being thrown out by the electorate. It would be naive to think otherwise. Uh, but making the decision was the asserting of control
2: One of the other MPs wants to talk about is Charlotte Nichols. She's a Labour MP.
1: She is and Charlotte Nichols is a fascinating character and actually it was really great to be able to speak to her because she was in a, a position we don't hear much about on the record at least and that was that she had considered stepping down and the conclusion she came to was that she was going to stay. I
3: think that it's very different for people who were like... You know those MPs who have like always wanted to be an MP and it's like the sum total of like their like ambition? Um, I think that they're much more willing to kind of like look past some of the downsides of the job but particularly people like me who are sort of accidental MPs or you know people that could quite easily go and do something else Some of the stuff that comes with the job Thank you very much, thank you Um, Some of the stuff that comes with the job I think it's quite rational to kind of look at it and be like do you know what this is actually worth it
1: She's interesting as well, another very young one. She's 32, elected at a very young age in 2019. And Charlotte has faced astonishing things since becoming a Member of Parliament. Then there's
3: like, you know, the stuff to do with like your house and like, you know, your general security and all that sort of thing. Like, you know, I'm single and live alone. So I haven't had anyone turn up at my house uh, that I know of, and certainly not recently. Um, but I have had like you know a guy that turned up at my office with a knife after some like you know insane things that he read online and you know I mean he, he, was, he, was, mentally, he was mentally unwell. Um, but you know it doesn't make it easier to deal with those sorts of yeah. things. It's not just you. It's like everyone around you. Like my ex-boyfriend's parents literally left social media because they couldn't cope with seeing the volume of abuse that I got and that he was getting and that they started to get, you know, like, yeah, when we were together and like, you know, my family get abuse from strangers on the internet because of my job and it's, you know,
1: And she's also been fairly vocal as well about some of the atmosphere that she sees in Parliament of it being a boys club and it being rather misogynistic Mm. in cases.
3: I mean, I I definitely think it's worse for women, not only in terms of like the level of abuse you get, but, you know, just things that men don't get, like, you know, gossip about like, you know, your personal life and things in a way that men don't seem to get, you know, people commenting on like what you're wearing or your makeup. Um, And it's like the level of scrutiny that you're under feels manifestly higher than what the men get. But then, of course, there's the men in Westminster, many of them think that they're, you know, not only God's gift to politics, but God's gift to women as well.
2: So why she decided to actually stay and, and continue?
1: She had decided that she still does want to make a change and that on top of that as well she said to me well look if, if the good people like me leave then it's only the bad ones left presumably. If you only have people for whom the system is working you're not going to change the system. So you, you've got two different cases there really of people trying to work out whether mm. it's worth it.
2: And so she says she wants to stay. William Ragg is saying all of this means he's going to leave. It's part of his reasoning that oh, what? Well, he's the MP for Hazel Groves, so that's Greater Manchester, majority 4,400. A cynic, as you'd say, would suggest that he's jumping before he's pushed.
1: To be honest, I sat and talked to Will for quite a long time, and that really isn't something that came across in the conversations that I had with him. I really do get the sense that he essentially feels like he's had a pretty good run in Parliament and maybe hit the maximum of everything that he's able to do there and wants to do Mm. something else. It's actually a fairly broad trend that you see across the employment market now. People of our parents' age would have gone into an accountancy firm at 21, been promoted until 65 and then retired as a partner on a lovely pension. Well, you don't really see people doing that anymore. Eight years, actually, when I look at that, I almost think that's a really long time to stay in a job. And I think he's more of our generation as well. So there's probably an element of that there. But, But even if it's not
2: the case with him, as you see it, when you look at who's announced that they're going to leave, the 72 MPs who've declared they're not going to stand again, 44 of them, majority, are Tory MPs. Do you think they are looking at the at the national polls which at the moment have Labour around 20 points ahead?
1: I think in some cases that is the case. I would probably say it's less a case of jumping before they're pushed. What it is, is that many of them are perhaps looking at the prospect of opposition and it doesn't look wildly appealing. So I think of someone like George Eustace, for example, former Mm. cabinet minister. He's going at the next election. And I put that to him. I essentially said, Look, are you running away because you don't want to sit through opposition? And he essentially said, Look, I've done some really big jobs. I feel like I did my time working for the likes of William Hague, the likes of David Cameron to get us out of opposition. And I'm not sure that that's necessarily something I want to do again. Hmm. Another interesting point he made was that as a former minister, you're on the back benches. And in previous years, you probably would have, if you wanted a new challenge, found an outside consulting job or done another hmm. job along the way the public. And he says, probably rightfully so, don't stand for that anymore. So he said, I think the phrase he used was, it focuses the mind somewhat. That yeah. He said to me that actually, you have to choose now. And his choice was, I've done this. And now I want to do something different.
2: And thinking about what could be perceived as the as the drudgery of opposition, that's something that Charlotte Nichols explained as well.
1: I think the phrase was, being in opposition is shit.
3: Um... <laughs> being in opposition is shit. Yeah. You know, you are traipsing around the voting lobbies, you know, sometimes 16 or 18 times in one evening, knowing full well that you're losing every yeah. single vote. So I think... For people who think that their party isn't going to be in government at the next election, like, I can totally see why you'd say, do you know what, it's really demoralising being an opposition, uh, and it's very difficult to motivate yourself sometimes to, like, go in and speak on a, you know, debate that, you know, you
1: know you're going to lose. You're essentially acting in this stage play, mm-hmm. and the government will do what they are going to do regardless.
2: Someone else who is also still very young that, again, is also deciding to leave, although, correct if I'm wrong, not because of concerns that they haven't been able to fully live their best 20s life so far, is Mari Black. She's, she's only 28 and she's deputy leader of the SNP in Westminster. What's, what's her beef with the place?
1: Well, Mari Black, again, has never been a huge fan of Westminster. Of course, she is an SNP politician. She said in her resignation statement, I've always maintained how outdated, sexist, and toxic a place Westminster is. But she talks an awful lot in that statement about the toll that this job has taken on her. She says, Since 2015, the lives of my loved ones have been turned upside down and inside out between media attention, social media abuse, threats, constant travel, and the murder of two MPs. My loved ones have have been in a constant state of anxiety.
3: I've made the decision not to stand in the next general election. I'm tired, It, 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 it is a big part of it. And the thing that makes me tired is Westminster, I think, it is one of the most unhealthy workplaces that you could ever be in. I'm embarking on married life. My parents are getting older and, you know, I see it in their faces when they come round to visit. Um, and I just... I suppose I've done, I feel like I've done my shift
1: for now. It does just increasingly seem like MPs are having to make these big trade-offs, and a lot of that, I think, does come down to the easy accessibility of Members of Parliament on the internet. Mm. That easy accessibility has made it easy for everyone to contact MPs, even those who aren't abusive. So they are getting a massively increased workload in terms of constituents writing in, because if you're annoyed about something, you can just fire off an email, whereas as previously, you'd have to go down to the post office, you'd have to get a stamp. And the demands we're making on them are much higher. And some people may be listening to this and thinking, well, you know what, they're paid 80 grand a year, they should work for their living. And yes, that is true, but this isn't the main bit really of what we want MPs to do. What we want MPs to do is make laws to scrutinise legislation properly, to do Mm. the actual governing of the country rather than just be very highly paid social workers. So I think that balance is starting to get to some MPs and they sort of think that they came in to do one job and they've ended up overwhelmed by another
0: constituency roundabouts and drains in your constituency are very important they really are Um, but we are also here to make the law and to hold the executive to account and our time here shouldn't just be about uh, a projection of being some sort of superhero
1: Mm.
0: um, solving everybody's problems all of the time uh, at the drop of the hat, because it's frankly impossible.
1: And you sort of feel the pressure to be doing that, almost the kind of social worker element? To it. I
0: don't mind that, but I find sometimes um, the, the most rewarding and fulfilling and precious aspect of it is being taken into people's confidence for mm. them to tell you things about themselves, about their situations, about problems they have. Mm. I think what exhausts me more is the expectation that we will continually project. That do gotta, mm. been seen to do everything at the opening of an envelope. Every bit of good news is a direct consequence of our existence and of their of the representative. Coming up,
2: they've got used to making 86 grand a year and being the centre of power. So, what does the future hold for soon to be ex MPs? just in a moment
1: it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
2: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade
0: your style game without blowing your budget?
2: So, Charlotte, it's one thing for many of these MPs to say, I don't want to be an MP anymore because it's not what I want to do. It's a lot more difficult to then find a job after that. They're accustomed to earning upwards of 80k. How about money? Do you think it was
1: 86,000?
0: I have no complaints about the money. No, but yeah. if I didn't want to do it, if I wanted to do something else, yeah. this is the thing, you have yeah. a choice. No one, yeah. no one has forced me to become a member yeah. of Parliament. I've wanted to do and it. And that's
1: the salary associated with it, yeah. Um, and yeah.
0: indeed making the assumption any, any of us would be able to earn more. Right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> they can't all be George Osborne and have all these fabulously well-paid jobs. Most of them are not household names. What's in store for them?
1: It's a bit of a tricky one, and actually a good case for jumping before you're pushed. Because if, say, I don't know, 80 to 100 MPs are pushed at the next election, they'll all Mm. be flooding the job market with largely similar skill profiles. And so actually, if you're starting your job hunt now, your skills do look a little bit rarer. And a lot of these MPs just don't have the sort of corporate skills that you'd expect people from the outside of politics to have if you were going to give them a highly paid job. So some of them do come a cropper.
2: Do you think that some of them might have delusions of grandeur when looking at the job market outside of Parliament thinking, I was basically in charge of a small part of the United Kingdom for a while. I deserve this fabulous job when actually, as you say, their skills profile might match the same as lots of other MPs who are also on the scrap heap and might not be that useful to lots of firms.
1: I think that is a problem. And some politicians will be in a stronger position. They will have developed interests and connections over the course of their time in Parliament. Don't get me wrong, I think actually one of the biggest powers MPs have is the ability to pull in people from any industry and get a meeting with them. So they do have this incredible access to job opportunities and connections that no one else would. All of that being said, if you haven't developed a particular profile, you're essentially coming into whatever industry you go to next completely fresh. You're competing Mm. against people who spent the last eight years actually working their way (laughs) through that industry.
2: That is a way of coming unstuck, though, if you're already fishing in the job market as a sitting Member of Parliament. Earlier this year, the Times exposed Scott Benton MP, Conservative MP for Blackpool South, 36-year-old. Undercover reports at the Times caught him offering to lobby ministers on behalf of the gambling industry. He had the toy whip suspended as a result. His seat now looks vulnerable at the next election anyway. Thinking about that case more broadly, is there a risk that so many MPs looking for new careers that may be thinking more about themselves and what they're going to do next than actually the constituents that they're currently elected to represent?
1: certainly plausible. Nadine Dorries, for example, is currently facing criticism, including from her own party leader, Rishi mm. Sunak, for saying that she was going to step down and then not actually triggering a by-election. And there have been lots of reports of constituents of hers who are unhappy, who essentially say that she isn't turning up to do the job. We know she's busy writing a memoir of the fall of Boris Johnson, so she's got a lot else on. So it is always a possibility. I suppose it's the same with anyone in their notice period. you probably got to keep a bit of an eye on them. <laughs> you
2: don't quite have full steam ahead when you're doing it, yeah. Thinking about the sort of people who are, who are leaving Parliament and the current state of the national opinion polls as well, is it clear with all these departures what kind of a Conservative Party we might be left with if the election goes badly for them?
1: My instinct a couple of years ago would have been as the Conservative Party shifts towards a more sort of Red wall, blue collar conservatism, you're starting to perhaps see a more socially conservative conservative party, a higher spending conservative party. Well, if you wiped out all of those red wall MPs, suddenly you're left with the Tory heartlands, you're left with Surrey, you're left with Kent, you're left with traditional Cameroon, shiny suited conservatives. And so we would go back to something like that. Well, what if it's different now? What if the conservative party is so successfully converted to a Red Wall party, that actually they start losing seats to Lib Dems in the South East, then suddenly you lose all your shiny Cameroons and the party looks very different. I don't know which way it's going to go. Yeah.
2: And as we say, we've got about 17 months to find out. Um, that's the Conservative side of the ledger then. What about on the Labour side of things? What about the possible new intake? Again, uh, assuming the general election follows the uh, the route that the national opinion polls currently have it as being. is preparing for a lot of new MPs entering Parliament. And Keir Starmer and the Leader of the Opposition's Office has been, it's been pretty ruthless about who they
1: are. He really has. And I think this is one of the great undertold stories, really, of what the country will look like over the next five years if we presume the opinion polls stay where they are. Keir Starmer quietly under the radar, has been doing an incredibly good job at making sure that his preferred candidates are selected in winnable Labour seats. So he really could change the ideological face of his party if this plan comes to fruition. And I think that's indicative of the last few years. When you speak to people near to Starmer, they point out that you really do need your parliamentary party on side if you're going to have any chance of governing. Tell Mm. that to Jeremy Corbyn. Tell that to Theresa May. (laughs) It is something you need to get done. And so, yes, he, he has been quite effective by all accounts on making this work. But also, there are those who say that ideological diversity within the Labour Party is important. If you're just filling the voting lobbies with a bunch of clones of yourselves, then you're not really going to have a broad array of ideas, a broad array of options.
2: Hmm. We know that trust in politicians generally is low, just lower than journalists, I think. A YouGov survey in November found that 66% of the public believe that politicians are only out for themselves, and that was up from 57% in May 2021. Looking at the systems on both the Labour and Conservative side of things, if we just focus on them, does this put the best people in Parliament?
1: So the way that you go through the system of becoming a parliamentary candidate is you apply like any other job. You fill in your forms, you go to a selection day. Again, it's like any other job application process. And then you get put on an approved list. And once you're on the approved list, you get to go out to local associations if you're selected for the short list by the central party and you make your pitch for them. It can lead to problems, to be honest. The idea that the central party have of who would be a good MP is often very different to who a local party will have. And there can be attempts to fix it that backfire. You always hear about, for example, a central party putting one person who's their preferred candidate and three terrible candidates forward (laughs) to a local party and the local party knows exactly what they're doing and says well screw you then we'll have the terrible one and it's a very odd selection process for a job. On top of that as well it's immensely time consuming. Both parties will have anyone on their candidates list out delivering leaflets weekend after weekend. You are essentially disadvantaged if you fail to show up. If you've got an all consuming job if you've got a big family that's going to be very tricky for you and As well, if you have to give up your job to actually be in an election campaign, it's not a paid job. So again, you're probably limiting the type of person who can actually apply for this. Hmm.
2: Listening to all of this. I'm getting the view that you wouldn't want to be an MP. <laughs> uh,
1: yes, I think that's probably probably entirely true, particularly I'm... after speaking to so many of them yeah. about why they don't want to.
2: That's clear. But could you see why anyone would b- want to be an MP? I mean, if a friend came up to you and said, I'm really thinking about doing this, Charlotte, and these are the reasons I want to do it, would you tie them down and scream no at them?
1: <laughs> it has actually happened. And it was sort of put to me in a a very self-effacing way this person said to me I know you're going to be very angry with me but I have something to tell you and I thought oh god what have you done you've done something terrible you, you know, che- cheated on your partner or something but no it turned out the terrible thing was that this person wanted to be a member of parliament and I actually I'll tell you what I I said to him yeah. which was um no I'm not angry with you I'm not upset when I've talked about how awful a job this is I mean for me this is something that you want this is something I think you'd be good at and I, I think if people genuinely do have a sense of public service, being an MP is one way to do it. I don't think it's the only way. I think that there are many other jobs that can improve the country. Columns in the Sunday Times. Columns in the Sunday Times, <laughs> nursing, exactly. All the, all yeah, the ones like all that. All the jobs. And if, if your skill set is best applied as an MP, then when you want to change the country, good for you, you are going to have to go through an awful lot of nonsense to get there and an awful lot of nonsense once you're actually in place, though.
2: You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. With me, Luke Jones, and my guest, Sunday Times staff writer and columnist, Charlotte Ivers. You can find all of Charlotte's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on a Sunday. The producer was James Shield, the executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you have a story you think we should be covering, maybe you have an idea for a future episode – Maybe you've got something nice you'd like to say about today's programme. You can email us anytime, storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Goodbye.